And now, if you would, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. You know you're in trouble when the pastor starts in Genesis, because he's obligated not to stop until he gets to Revelation. So, Genesis chapter 9. And when you have found that passage, if you would, stand with me as we read God's Word together. A flood has come and has covered the earth and destroyed all life except for the eight humans that are on the ark and the animals that are with them. So the flood waters are subsiding. The ark has come to rest on Mount Ararat. The doors have opened. Noah and his family have come out onto the dry ground. And chapter 9, verse 1 says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Isn't this interesting that now the fear of man will be on the animals? It's because this will be the first time in the history of the world that man is now hunting and going after. He's been given permission now to barbecue. (laughs) He is up to this time Man has been a vegetarian. As they've come off of the ark, God says, all of it is yours now. He goes on and says, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood, and for your lifeblood I'll require a reckoning from every beast. I'll require it from man, from his fellow man, I'll require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. 
And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Let's pray. And now, Holy Father, in regard to the preaching of your word this morning, my mind hearkens back to the words of the Puritans. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray that holy manna will be scattered all around. In the name of Christ, and for his glory alone we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I have been studying God's word in a serious manner for 46 years now. I have preached somewhere north of 4,000 sermons. And yet every once in a while, I am greatly surprised when I discover something new in a familiar passage. I am sure that in your diligence of studying God's Word, you've probably come across this as well that you're reading something that's very familiar, maybe even something you've memorized, something that you think you know it all, and it's as if somebody stuck something new in that passage while you weren't looking. And there you are, dumbfounded and surprised, and standing back once again. You see, that's the wonder of God's Word, my friend. This Word, it's not like Huckleberry Finn or War and Peace or Gone with the Wind. It's alive, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. When you sit down with this book, you sit face-to-face, toe-to-toe with the creator of the universe, and through it, he bears his heart to you, and it's never the same two days in a row. I can remember when I was in boot camp receiving some wonderful letters from my sweetheart, Sandy Skinner. And I can remember reading them and rereading them, and I about read the words off the page and the anticipation when they came and, and to, to get alone someplace and read them. Oh, this is the ultimate love letter. This is the letter that ought to cause our hands to shake, maybe our palms to get just a little bit sweaty every day when we sit down and open it up in anticipation of what our lover, the Lord Jesus Christ, is about ready to reveal to us. Because you can go to the same passage again and again and get something different every time you go there. This is the real love letter. And it happened to me again, just within recent days. I don't know why I was thinking about Noah and the ark. Maybe it was because Sandy and I, on our recent sabbatical, went and visited the, the ark 
in Kentucky where the Creation Society, what's his name, Ken Ham, has built the ark. And it's in the same dimensions that the Bible has. And you come over the hill and it just takes up everything. It's like standing at the pier looking at an aircraft carrier. And there we were. And, you know, the whole story is told again as you go through that ark and that wonderful thing. And I don't know whether that stimulated or not, but something recently moved me back to this story. And as I was reading the passage that I just read, something new jumped off the page and went into my heart, and it hasn't let me go. And so, consequently, Jesse's given me an opportunity to preach. You get to know it now. But let me say this. What is it that I saw that I had never seen before? It was this. God did not say in this passage that when we see the rainbow, we shall remember his covenant. That's not what he said. He said that when he sees the rainbow, he will remember his covenant. Look at this. Verse 14. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature. Verse 16. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature that is on the earth. Maybe I'm the Johnny come lately. Maybe you've already seen this. Oh, pastor, I saw that years ago. Well, I hadn't. I've looked on plenty of rainbows and I've thought that's God's promise never to flood the earth again. But I always looked at it that it was there to remind me. The passage we've read today says it's there to remind him. The rainbow is God's reminder of the promise and the covenant that he's made with the earth. I've been studying a lot of the covenants lately, and I I would invite you to get your Bible out. You know, we've got the Adamic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Noahic covenant. Uh, I mean, there's covenants all all the way through the Bible that God has made with man, and the Bible is filled with them, and they are covenants that God has never violated. Uh, Man has. (laughs) Man has violated these covenants through his disobedience, through his carelessness, through his forgetfulness, but not God, because God cannot violate his covenants. His word tells us in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? And then through the apostle Paul to Timothy, we get this. If we are faithless, if we fall short of keeping these covenants, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. This passage caused me to start hunting. And I wanted to go elsewhere in the Bible and see if there was any evidence of God looking upon something and remembering. 
First place I found it was Exodus chapter 12. The children of Israel have now lived in Egypt for 400 years. They came when Joseph was prime minister. There were 70 of them. There are now roughly a million of them. And for the last many years, because of fear of the Jews and their large number, they have been enslaved by Pharaoh to make sure that they didn't get any larger. He has an edict that they're taking all the boy babies and throwing them in the, in the Nile River to drown them so they will not be procreating like they have been procreating. He put them to forced labor. And under that forced labor, they remembered their God and began to cry out to him. And in response to their cry, God raised up a deliverer, Moses, an Israelite who was raised in Pharaoh's house, educated in the Egyptian universities, is now separated from the Egyptians and Israel, finds himself in the Midian desert, and there is called by God to go back to Egypt and rescue his people. Well, Moses obeys, goes back, and begins the rescuing proposition And Pharaoh's not going to have anything of it. So over the next span of time, a series of plagues come upon the land. And each one of the plagues gets just a little worse, a little worse, a little worse. And finally, Pharaoh starts paying attention, and he says, okay, you can go. Only to say no when the plague quit. And so God pulled out his trump card. Plague number 10, he would slay the firstborn of every household in Egypt. But he called for his people so that they would not suffer from this terror to slaughter a lamb, to take the blood of that lamb and paint it on the doorpost and upon the lintel of their house, roast the lamb and eat the lamb, with their traveling clothes on, their sandals on, their staff in hand. And they waited. And here's what God said. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Much like And when I see the rainbow, I will remember my covenant. He now says, where I see the blood, that household will be spared. Shortly after Passover, the first Passover, God made another covenant with the children of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. And we call it the Mosaic Covenant. And God promised to bless his people if they would obey his commands. If they did not obey... He said he would, they would experience his cursings. You can read all about it in Deuteronomy chapter 28 where God says, walk in my way and I will bless you. I'll bless you in the city. I'll bless you in the country. I'll bless the food of your womb. I'll bless your livestock. I'll bless your crops. I'll bless your kids. But he goes on and says, but if you turn away from my law, cursed will you be in the country and cursed will you be in the city and cursed will be the fruit of your womb and cursed will be your crops and your livestock. 
See, the one problem with the Mosaic Covenant is nobody could keep it. <laughs> the Mosaic Covenant is made up of two things. First of all, the Ten Commandments, which is the moral law of God, and that law still exists to this day. And then there was the ceremonial law with 613 fine points. You know why I think God gave them that law? Because at the foot of Sinai, where God wanted to enter into a relationship with his people, and he came down, the people, he scared the life out of them, and they said to Moses, don't ever let him talk to us like that again. We've been slaves for 400 years. We know how to take orders. So you go talk to God and then tell us what he said. And I wonder sometimes if they didn't trade true fellowship with God for 613. You know, they said, we'll keep everything he tells us. So guess what he gave them? Something that was impossible to keep. And they were reminded continually that it was impossible to keep through the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and, and sheep and and turtle doves and pigeons. Millions of gallons of blood was spilled over the next centuries. And the book of Hebrews says that all that blood was not adequate to take away sin. It was but a reminder of their sin and their inadequacy to keep God's law. Do you know that there was once a time when nothing existed? I know we have a hard time with that because there's been something around ever since we've been here. Right? We look up into the sky. I don't know, have you seen lately? Have you seen Mars in the sky recently? Oh, breathtaking. Do you know there was a day when Mars was not? Venus has been putting on quite a show too. You know, there was a day when Venus was not. There was a time when there was no earth. And if there was no earth, there couldn't have been any stars because the earth was created on day one and the stars weren't created until day four. There was a time when there was nothing. Nothing but God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in that period of time before the world was created, before God spoke the cosmos into existence, there was a covenant ratified in heaven among the Trinity called the covenant of redemption. I don't know how many of you have heard of that. But this is a covenant made in the Godhead, before the cosmos, before mankind. And here was the covenant. The covenant of redemption was an agreement between God the Father and God the Son, in which fallen mankind would be offered redemption on the basis of the Son's sacrificial death on their behalf. And that covenant was ratified before anything was created. Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Think about it. Think about it. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. 
I, I don't think there's probably any more profound passage of Scripture, at least in the New Testament, than Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is one of the most incredible books because it is Paul's magnum opus. This is the ultimate of all of Paul's writings. And the things that he says here just blow your mind. I was talking with somebody this week because somebody was saying to me, how did Jesse get 10 sermons out of Jonah? Well, I think there's probably another 10 in there. About 20 years ago, I preached on Sunday mornings here through the book of Ephesians. And how long it took me? Two years. One of the jokes was that when you went to see our Bible church, your, book, your Bible automatically fell open to Ephesians because we were there for almost two years. And a year of it was probably spent in chapter one. And you know, in my Christian evolution, Sandy and I have spent time in fundamental Baptist camps and Pentecostal camps and charismatic camps. I was raised in a Lutheran school, so I know my catechism well, Billy. Yeah. You know, you remember when Martin nailed the theses? You know, I, I read about that then. Not quite. I think you told me one time you handed him the hammer, though, didn't you? <laughs> so there's been a lot going on. And you know, it used to be, according to the camp that I was in and the line I was supposed to be towing, that there were certain scriptures that I came to that maybe didn't quite agree with the company line. And so there would be times of explanation. Well, what he probably means is this. Well, last Sunday I turned 67 years of age. And you know what? I think God probably means what he wrote. And so from now on out, I'm staying with what he wrote. And this is one of those passages that what he wrote will boggle our minds. And if we try to figure it out, it'll boggle them even more. It was written to be accepted by faith. Now listen to this. Remember, when was the covenant of redemption made? Before the foundation of the earth. Okay, got your seatbelt hooked up? Hang on. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. How many spiritual blessings has he blessed us with? You know, whether we're apprehending them and enjoying them or not is another thing. But they're there for us as part of the redemptive gift of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Here we go. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. If you are in Christ today, when were you chosen in God? Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. No. If you are in Christ today, you were chosen by God in Christ before there was a cosmos. Hang on. It's going to get better. Why did he choose us? That we should be holy and blameless before him. God created us and chose us that we might walk as instruments of his holiness before a fallen world. Chosen to be holy That's why we were chosen. 
Oh, he goes on. You see why it took me a year to get through this chapter? In love, he predestined. Oh, there's that word. Boy, we have a problem with that one. Well, let's just say he meant what he says here. The word predestination means predetermined or foreordained. Something that was already determined in the heart of God before it ever came to pass. So let's go back to the text. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Why did he do it? Because he's God and that's what he wanted to do. According to his will. He did not check in with any of us since none of us were around to be checked in with. Okay? To the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished. I love that word, which he lavished. This isn't a little dabble, do you? This is he poured out the whole kit and caboodle upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose that he set forth in Christ as a plan to the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven, things on earth. And the book of Ephesians shows us this. It shows how God has reunited fallen man and holy God. It shows how God has made one new nation out of his church in Israel. It shows reconciliation between husband and wife, parent and children, employer and employee. God reconciling all things to himself. And then he goes on in verse 11. In him, who do we have this in? It's not of your doing, it's not of my doing. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, predetermined, foreordained, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of what? His will. You see, it doesn't matter whether we understand this or not. It's what God has done. And we are called to just say, amen. Amen. And amen. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In the King James, it says that this Holy Spirit was given as an earnest. You know, earnest money is money that's put down as kind of a down payment on a piece of property that says you'll show up in a few days with the rest of it. But you secure that property first. And so the Holy Spirit's been given as a down payment, as an earnest, as a promise, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The covenant of redemption ratified between father and son before the world began and in that time, I, we can't call it time because time didn't begin until there was world. Your name and my name and all of those who are in Christ Jesus and will be in Christ Jesus, their names were already entered into the Lamb's book of life before a single human being ever drew a breath. Wow. Wow! John, you can say it backwards if you want. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever stop and think of this stuff, people? Do you ever let this stuff percolate down into your heart? And it's important that you do because of where we're going from here. 
this covenant of redemption between God the Father and God the Son then ushered into place another covenant between God and man, and we call it the covenant of grace. Grace simply means unmerited favor. Could somebody tell me today just how much you can do to earn unmerited favor? Come on. I'm asking you to join now. How do you earn unmerited favor? You're a Bible teacher back there, Brad. You don't. (laughs) Boy, you don't. You don't. This covenant of grace would be whereby men could be saved from their sin and the penalty of sin if they would but place their faith in the one who bore the penalty of their sin on the cross of Calvary. Bringing us, stay with me here, please, bringing us once again to a place of God remembering his covenant promise by looking upon something. God remembering his covenant promise with his people by setting up a remembrance for himself. But this time, it is not a rainbow. And this time, it's not animal's blood painted on the doorstop. This time, he's looking at his son. And when he looks at his son, he sees you. Not the old you, but the new you. According to this, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I like to add this. Our heavenly father made his son, this is the agreement that happened in heaven before time began, made his son who knew sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Again, we see God the Father looking on something that always reminds him of us and his covenant with us. In this instance, it's not a rainbow and it's not blood-smeared doorpost. He now looks on his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who left heaven's glory and came to this earth as a man, the only man who ever perfectly kept the law of God. And then he laid down that sinless life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Your sins, my sins, and with that one offering, Satisfied for all time the wrath of God against sin. Or as Pastor Jesse mentioned a couple weeks ago, Jesus became our propitiation, our wrath-bearing sacrifice. We live in a day and age that a lot of people don't like to talk about wrath. They want to say, God is love, God is love. And when we when we and God is love, but when we emphasize that to a fault. We turn God into a doting old grandfather patting his grandchildren on the head saying, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it doesn't really matter, 
I love you anyway. That's what it does. But the Bible says, outside of Christ, we were destined for the wrath of God. We are all children of wrath. So God gives mankind two choices. Two ways for his wrath to be satisfied. Either he satisfies it in those who are unrepentant and unredeemed by pouring out his wrath upon them. Or he offers up redemption and forgiveness and propitiation by pouring out his wrath upon his Son and then inviting us to come in his name. This is crazy stuff. And you know what? The older I get, the more I'm standing in awe of it. The more I'm standing in awe of what God has done for me, what God has done for you, what he continues to do for us. You see, when by faith we confess Jesus as Savior, claiming the power of his blood to wash away not only our sin, but the penalty of our sin, God's wrath, God then sees us according to this verse, are you hanging on? As righteous as Jesus is righteous. with me? This is yes. This is no. When God looks at his son, he sees you as righteous as Jesus is righteous. Not the old you. Oh, thank God for that. The new you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from 75% of our unrighteousness. <laughs> what does it say? If Christ, if God in Christ has cleansed you from all of your unrighteousness, how much unrighteousness does that leave? I know it's been a long time since school's been in, but how much unrighteousness does that leave? <laughs> You're saying it half-heartedly. You know, this is the good news of the good news. And not counting their sins against them. Judicially speaking, if we have been cleansed from all unrighteousness, what, where does that leave us? Brad? <laughs> Blameless, righteous. And this is the hard part, isn't it? Because, you see, we're also still on a journey. I'm still living on planet Earth. I'm still living inside of a flesh and bone body. And it still has passions and desires and things that aren't quite, haven't all been sanctified yet. And as I draw close to my Lord and 
depend on him and come to his word and respond to his Holy Spirit. He's changing me incrementally from glory to glory into his own image. And one day he'll finish it when I stand before him and I see him and I will be like him in that moment. But in the process, he's still, he's still working out some of the kinks in old Wayne here. He's still working out some of the kinks in all of us. But our salvation is not based on the continued work of our sanctification. Our salvation is based on the finished work of Christ in who we have placed our faith. And though we are still in process, moving toward that culmination of that day, we, we enter heaven with him. When God looks at his son, he sees Marlowe. Not the old Marlowe. You want to say amen? <laughs> the new Marlowe. When I look upon the rainbow, I will remember. When I look upon the blood, I will remember. When I look upon my son, I will remember. And you know, there was a lot of years, my friends, that I was afraid to preach this. I was afraid people would take advantage of it. But you know what I have found out? When this truth breaks upon a heart, it's no longer how much can I get away with and still make heaven. It's, oh, my dear God, by your word, by your grace, by your blood, and by your spirit, show me how to stay close to you. The Bible says that those who make a claim to faith yet continually to blatantly walk in disobedience, you know what it says about that person? They've never seen him or known him because grace changes everything. When this happens, when you begin to somehow comprehend which that, that which is uncomprehendable, I think this is why Peter said, and we thank God for his unspeakable gift. A plan that was made before there was anything. A book in which your name was written before there was anything. If you have been saved by the grace of God, you're now being kept by the grace of God. And the Bible tells us that no one can snatch you from your Father's hand. That's what the guarantee of the Holy Spirit is all about. Just enough of a guarantee to make sure you get through to the end. No one can snatch you. You're, you're, you're saved by God's almighty power. Now you're being kept by God's almighty power until he'll, he delivers you home into heaven. My looking to Jesus brings me hope and joy and peace. But it's the Father's looking to Jesus that secures my salvation. It's all in Christ. Or as Charles Spurgeon put it, Oh, it is not my remembering God, it's God's remembering me, which is the ground of my safety. It's not my laying hold of His covenant, it's His covenant laying hold of me. Glory be to God. It's okay to say amen. It's God's covenant laying hold of you. My dear friends, our salvation is not a result of human effort. It's not of man. It's of God and God alone. And I know what time it is, and I want to celebrate the Lord's Supper with you. Will you give me just a couple more minutes? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I used to think I contributed so much to this. 
First oh. Corinthians 1.26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the world's standards. Not many of you were powerful and not many of noble birth. And then in 27, it starts with a line that's going to be repeated three times. Listen. But God chose. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast before God. And here we go. And because of who? Come on. What's it say? And because of him. Because of him. Because what he has done in these covenants of which we've talked. Because of him you are in Christ Jesus. And it was Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness. There we go. He that knew no sin became our sin that we might become his righteousness. And sanctification. That's the, that's the work that's still going on in us. And redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. None of us will ever stand before him on that great day and say, I am here because. We are there because he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. My pinball brain goes on tilt right about here. Someone once asked Thomas Akempis, how many are familiar with Thomas Akempis? Thomas Akempis is great work. Every Christian needs to read it. The Imitation of Christ. Next to the Bible, it has sold more copies as a book than any other book that has ever been printed. Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ. One day he was asked why he had been so mightily used of God. And here's his answer. I can only assume that God looked down from heaven to find the smallest, most insignificant creature that he could. And when he saw me, he chose me. And he used me. Alistair Begg says, What a wonder to realize that despite our inadequacies, failures, and lack of powerful resources, God chooses yet another old clay pot to show that the power belongs to him and him alone. To God be the glory. We are in Christ because of Christ. Because of a covenant ratified before time began that turned into the covenant of grace upon which God now looks upon his son and sees you. I will look upon the rainbow and I will remember. I will see the blood and I will pass over. 
I will look upon my son and I will remember you. I pray that if you are here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, that these truths will become ever more true in your heart and set you ever more free to be all that he's called you and created you to be. If you are here today and you do not know this Savior, know that his suffering on the cross was for you too. And he invites you to come and lay the burden of your sin and the burden of your life at his feet that you too may be washed forgiven, made new, brought into the family. Let's pray. Father, these are truths that only your spirit can make real. to our hearts and to our minds. And even then, though we are unable to comprehend them fully, we embrace them by faith. We embrace them by faith and believe with all of our hearts that because of him, we are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it has been written that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. For those of us who are your covenant children make these truths ever more real and let us rejoice in them and live in them and revel in them and find the power of a holy life in them. And if someone is here today that has never heard what Christ has done for them, that he laid down his sinless life on their behalf, that they might be his. They might be brought into the family of God. They might be forgiven of their sins. They might be sanctified in Jesus and be made one with his family and then be prepared for not only a glorious life here lived in the power of the resurrection, but a life that is promised beyond where together forever we will dwell with him. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, Listen, listen, friends, listen, listen. There's been a lot of covenants that have been made with man and God, but this one's different. This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood, whereby on the covenant made before the world was founded, God the Father made his Son, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. 
May this be what we celebrate this day as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. Would those come who are going to be sharing in the passing out of the elements, elders, deacons, staff,